Keeping It With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is brought to you by TKM Incorporated. This company located in Moss, Tennessee, specializes in erosion control, hydro-seeding, hydro-mulch, silt fence. They do minor excavation work, and they also provide traffic control and construction signs. Their mission is keeping people safe. Their passion is wishing that all men could be saved. TKM stands for The King's Men. If you'd like to contact The King's Men, you can contact them at 931-243-3958. 931-243-3958. Or you may email them at tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. That is tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. The King's Men in partnership with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. SJL General Contractor is a full construction company that primarily focuses on civil construction and asphalt sales in the Huntsville and Fayetteville regions. Services they provide include, but are not limited to, road construction, asphalt material, underground utilities, site work, and demolition. They employ heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, pipe layers, and CDL dump truck drivers. If you would like for this company to work for you on your project, or if you'd like to work for them as an employee of this family-owned business, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. Or three W's and a dot sjnl.com. That's www.sjnl.com. SJNL General Contractor is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones. Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. This will fall under the annals of terrible things I've done as a chaplain. I may have to do a, a whole episode sometime and do true confessions of the terrible things I've done as a chaplain. Uh, but but this happened. I started being a police chaplain as a volunteer in the spring of 1992. And just after I went through the orientation and did an officer survival class with Vic Treadway, I, I got assigned to the uh, the SWAT team. Uh, and, and I was one of the few people who was allowed to ride with those guys without a special letter from the chief. I had carte blanche. I, I was their champlain, and I could show up and ride on their power shift. Their power shift, they were a full-time team. And they patrolled from 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. And that's the same time that they trained. And so I was allowed to go and spend the training time with them. And, and so I started as, as this uh, young chaplain. I was 29 years old. And I would go down there after work. And I would run with the team and PT with the team. And I would hide in buildings or practice entries. And I'd hide and the dogs would find me. And I'd lay behind a, a Lexan shield while they blew doors up. And I've been in rooms when they flash banged them and, uh, you know, they call the team out and, and the chief had given me a pager and I went out with the team and, you know, walked up and down the Montesano Mountain in the dark looking for a lost boy in December and just whatever the team did, you know, I had access to and, and, and I got to have this this access to the team and, and, you know, really, really cool for me to be a civilian and not be a trained police officer, not be a sworn officer to have this access to these guys. 
But then all of a sudden, we get this doctor. Now, let me go on record that four of the finest men that walk on this planet are the guys that have worked with our team as our doctor or as our tactical medic. The original doc was Dr. David Huff, a retired military colonel. When Doc got got deployed to Afghanistan, he brought in a guy that he'd worked with in the military, major retired Rich Colvin, and Rich filled in while Doc was gone. Then when Doc came back, he and Rich both spent about 20 years with the team. In in the modern era of the team, we have Dr. Mark Ike, uh, who's an ER doctor, and then Dr. Roni Najjar, who is a trauma surgeon. He's actually, he's the head of trauma at Huntsville Hospital. And, and without question and without doubt, four of the finest men who ever walked the face of the planet. These guys give their time and are on call and go out in horrible conditions and on the worst nights of the year and spend time away from their families and take time away from their work and, and volunteer and give their time to our team. And, and no exception, no caveat, no hesitation for the finest individuals you'll ever meet. But this is early. I've been a chaplain for about seven years, and this doctor shows up. And and when Dr. Huff showed up the first time, he gets a, a black jumpsuit, and they give him some body armor. I was wearing soft body armor that was retired from Keith Lassiter. Those of you who are old school enough to know Keith Lassiter, my famous quote that involves Keith Lassiter to his wife said, that's what every blind man needs is a gun. <laughs> and so now... They give Doc this armor. They give Doc a helmet. They gave Doc a radio. Now, I'd had a radio, and I was working as the tactical liaison after I'd gone through negotiation school, but there were some problems with a civilian having a radio, and, and when you're on a call like that and, and you know things are being recorded, uh, one of our chiefs said, I, you know, we don't think Lonnie needs to be on a radio anymore, so they took my radio away. I have a radio again, uh, thanks to... Uh, Mark McMurray, but in those days, that, but, but here this doctor shows up, and he gets a helmet, and he gets a jumpsuit, and he gets some armor, and he's got a radio, and, and, and you know, who am I, chop liver? Now, <laughs> don't get me wrong, the team has always been good to me, and, and one of my most prized possessions is a black cap with a silver cross and a silver pen that says SR. Because in the original days, the SWAT team was known as the Special Response Team, and their call sign was SR. So your your sergeant was SR1, and then you went down the, with seniority. So I'd been going to training and hanging out with those guys, and, and one night at training, uh, a, an old Vietnam-era sniper, Mike Weeks, walks up to me, and he says, well, we've decided if you're going to be down here with us, you're going to wear our colors. And he took my little blue chaplain's cap and he handed me this black cap with a cross and an SR pen. And among my treasured possessions is the fact that I was given an SR pen. And I'm old school enough and an original gangster enough that, that not only do I have an SR pen, but I also have a SWAT pen. And there's not a lot of guys who have both those pens, but I do. And it's one of my most prized possessions. I'm not saying they treated me bad. But I'm saying for some reason, I kind of thought it was odd that, you know, I've been spending all this time with these guys and, and the doctor shows up and, and, and gets a helmet and a jumpsuit and some body armor and a radio. 
Well, we were training one night and Doc's with us and, and, and the stack team, and it was being run in, in those days by uh, Jimbo Wynn. And, and we, get, we get to leave training and do this mission. So we're going to go do this thing for the, for the drug unit. And so the SWAT guys are, are in their vehicles doing their thing. And uh, they put me and Doc with Jimbo. And uh, Jimbo's driving this Escalade, this, this car that they've seized from a drug dealer. And, I mean, it is tricked out. You know, it's probably an $85,000 ride. And it's got all the bells and all the whistles and the tin windows and the big rims. And so me and Doc are riding around with Jimbo. And we're kind of on this stakeout watching this thing go. And it's cold. I mean, it's miserable cold. Well, here sits Doc in the front seat in his black jumpsuit and his body armor and his helmet and his black gloves and his radio and his medical pack. And and I'm wearing, you know, uh, Woodland BDUs that I bought at the Army Surplus Store and a black field jacket that I bought at an Army Surplus Store in Batesville, Arkansas. And so I'm sitting here and got my little black watch cap on and, and we're kind of waiting to see how this mission unfolds for SWAT. And so me and Jim and Jimbo and Doc are just talking. Well, I lean up between the seats because I'm sitting in the back and I lean up between the seats and are talking to these guys. And I look down on the console and I realize this thing has heated seats. And so Doc's sitting in the front passenger seat and Jimbo's driving and I'm in the back. And every time I lean up to join in the conversation to hear what they're going to say or to say what I'm going to say, I take that little control that heats the seat up and I, I give Doc a few degrees. Now we're sitting in this car for several hours. And over the course of several hours, I run this heat seater up as high as it will go. And so somewhere around midnight, Doc is in the front seat of this car. And I mean, it is cold outside and sweat is running in little rivers down Doc's face. And Doc's like, man, I don't know about you guys, but I'm hot in here. I was, like, you know, Doc, the guys uh, wear that kind of uh, stuff, you know, on a regular basis, and you just kind of have to acclimate yourself to it if you're going to wear their kind of gear and all that stuff that they've let you have. It was terrible, and it was wrong, and I wasn't really being spiteful as much as I was just having a good time at Doc's expense. Well, karma is a wicked stepsister. I'm I'm very hot natured. Uh, I like to be cold. I'm uncomfortable when I'm hot. And Jackie's always wanted to sleep with an electric blanket. Now, we don't run our, our thermostat up in the wintertime. We like to keep our house cool, but we like to, to be warm in bed. I hate electric blankets. I don't like the, 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 the fuzz of them touching me. It builds up static electricity because I am basically look like an electric blanket without my shirt. And, and, and I just never would acquiesce to us having an electric blanket. Well, finally, after one of my surgeries where I just couldn't get warm, we, we entered the electric blanket era. And you spell that E-R-A or E-R-R-O-R because we still have electric blankets at our house. But Jackie bought this electric blanket that had dual controls. And so I can make my side cooler. She can make her side warmer. And, and things are wonderful. Well, one night I was either slip in or, or, or Jackie wasn't there. She was traveling or something. And so I just got too hot under this electric blanket and I, and I had turned it off, but just the weight of the thing, just the idea that I've got this fuzzy thing on me that has electrical wires running through it was disturbing my sleep. So I, I pushed it all to her side of the bed. Now through some unfortunate series of events, the electric blanket gets spread back out. Now, if you think about that, 
the electric blanket properly placed on the bed. The top right corner is on my side, and the top left corner is on her side. Well, this is all bunched up, and somebody took the top left corner and pulled it all the way over to the top right side, so the blanket has now been inverted. And so I'm lying there in the bed one night, and I can't get comfortable. I mean, it is, I'm just, it's just too hot. So I grab my little controller, and when I grab my controller, I turn it almost all the way. I turn it all the way like down to two. Well, to my surprise and, and to my discomfort, I keep getting hotter. I mean, it, it's like unbelievably hot in this bed. And I'll roll over and turn the thing down. I eventually turn the thing off. But by midnight, I am sweating profusely. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm wrapped in tinfoil and being slow cooked like a baked potato. If I don't get some relief, they're going to change the meaning of, of what the Bible says when it talks about well done, good and faithful servant. Because I'm going to be a well done, good and faithful servant. What I didn't understand was happening was that I was using my controller but it was actually controlling Jackie's side of the bed. So I'm hot, and I'm turning the thing down, and I'm making Jackie freeze to death, and in response to her being cold, she's taking her controller and trying to get warm, and she's turning it up to nuclear microwave, and she's baking my brains out. And all of a sudden, we're in this dynamic where I'm trying to be comfortable, and I'm killing her, and she's trying to be comfortable, and it's killing me. And it's like that in most of our relationships. You know, we, we try to do one thing and we actually get the opposite. Uh, Gary Chapman talks about it in his book, Love Languages. And he talks about that there are five different love languages. You, you know, some people uh, feel loved when they spend quality time. Some people feel loved when people perform acts of service. Some people feel loved when they receive gifts. Some people feel love when they get words of affirmation. Some people feel love when they get physical touch. Now, the interesting thing is that the same thing that makes you feel loved is often the way you express love. So a guy may take his controller and say, oh, I really like it when people say nice things to me. And he's always complimenting his wife. But she's over there and, and she's trying to do acts of service. You know, she washes his car or she presses his clothes or she runs an errand at the bank. And she's controlling her controller, and he's controlling his controller, but they don't realize that their controllers are having the opposite effect than what they think they're having on each other. And so what happens is we don't realize that the way we hear I love you is often the way we say I love you, and really it it needs to be the thing where we figure out how our partner hears I love you. And we need to speak their language. It, it's the same with the book His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. And basically in the His Needs, Her Needs discussion, he talks about that women and men have, have different needs. Now, I've been to some of these seminars, and it, and it almost gets taught as a, a quid pro quo. If you meet her needs, she'll meet your needs. That's not, what the, that's not the way that works. The way it works is I need to be aware of your needs. And I need to attune myself to the temperature that you like the bed and not try to force it on you. 
it, it, it's one of those things where, where I got to figure out that this is something that you need or that you want or that you like, and I do it for you, whether it's gifts or acts of service or words of affirmation or quality time or physical touch, but I don't do it because it's what I want, but I do it because it's what you need, because it's what you want, and, and in some cases, it's what you like. You know, go back to the story when, when I sent Gunner a ninja sword and, and, and asked Lonnie Beth that I need to send Rowan a ninja sword. And she said, no, I'll just send her some lip gloss. She'll be okay. Well, I was incredulous. How could a granddaughter of mine prefer lip gloss over a ninja sword? And, and Lonnie Beth's famous wisdom statement was, Dad, do you want her to want what you want her to want or do you want to get her what she wants? That's when you begin to understand that your controller is not about making you comfortable, but about helping your spouse be comfortable, about having their needs met, about having their likes and their wants fulfilled. Michelle Davis in her book or in her discussion of the sex-starved marriage says, you do realize that the person least interested in sex controls it. That's a very unfair and unhealthy dynamic. And actually, it's the same with the person least interested, least interested in travel controls how often the couple travels. The person least interested in eating out and social interaction and attending church and going to family functions. All of a sudden, we begin to realize that if I don't understand that, although this is not a big deal to me, it is a big deal to my spouse. And I don't recognize that and I don't attune to that then what I'm doing is I'm taking this controller and I'm trying to make myself comfortable. And, and number one, I'm making my spouse really uncomfortable. And inadvertently and unconsciously and, and, and unaware, they adjust so that they'll be comfortable and it ends up making you uncomfortable. When you talk about attunement, getting to know the love map of your spouse, getting to know the, the love language, understanding that you have differing needs. I often illustrate it in, in backing a trailer. Now, I used to have a, a star on my man card that said, you know, he's a man, asterisk, he can't back a trailer. Well, the reason I couldn't back a trailer is because the only trailer I'd ever tried to back was a U-Haul trailer attached to a long wheelbase diesel van that the deacon in charge of transportation uh, at church thought would be a good idea. If you've got a, a truck and you've got a long wheelbase trailer, you've got a trailer with a long tongue, I can back a trailer. I just didn't realize I, I couldn't back a short trailer. Backing a trailer is about attunement. See, you're sitting facing forward, and you're looking in a mirror, and you're trying to put a trailer where it doesn't want to go. Well, the only way to do that is to recognize that you've got to turn your mind around and see the world from the perspective of a trailer. You see, if you could put a trailer hitch on the front of your vehicle and push that trailer into its spot while you were driving forward, everybody could put a trailer where it needs to go. But the problem is you've got the trailer's left as your right, and your right is the trailer's left, and you're trying to translate all that through a mirror image. And until you can adopt the perspective of the worldview of the trailer, you can't get a trailer to go where you want it. Now, before you send hate mail and you, and you send emails to, you know, Lon Jones at BellSouth.net, I'm not saying your, your spouses are trailers. I'm simply saying that the idea of attunement 
is about learning the perspective of the other person. And learning that perspective is learning what stimulates their thinking. Learning what speaks to them. Learning their mythos. Learning what makes them feel alive. Learning what they need. Sometimes it's as simple as just learning what they like. What they prefer. What their favorite. What their best is. And then once you do that, you start living with the ability to say, you know, I have the ability not to control my spouse, but to respond to my spouse based on how what I do with my controller affects them. And as we've said before, it's not giving in and it's not giving up. It's just simply giving. When I recognize that, hey, when I turn the heat up on this machine, it affects Jackie. When when, when I realize when I turn the heat down, it, it affects Jackie. Now, until I recognize that the controllers have been swapped and that there's this dynamic, there's an interdependence. It's not that I'm independent, and it's not that I'm dependent, but we are interdependent with each other. And so every time I make a decision, every time I make a choice, every time I decide to do something, I don't do it from the standpoint of just me. I have to do it from a standpoint that is not selfish. I have to do it from a standpoint that's not about me or my, but us and our And you can really measure the strength of a couple by measuring the story of we. Because when you talk to a couple and you hear me and my and I way more than you hear us and our and ours, that's that's when you know that that they're not attuned. That's when you know somebody's being selfish. That's when you know somebody's keeping score. The way to solve the electric blanket dilemma is not that I have to get Jackie's controller and Jackie gets my controller. It's not even about flipping the electric blanket over. It's once you realize the dynamic, once you realize the interaction, before I make a decision about the temperature, before I make a decision about my comfort, in my mind, it's not about control. In my mind, it's not about her control. In my mind... It's simply about swapping sides. And when I swap sides and consider any decision from my spouse's side, then I don't have to be in control. Because what they need, what they want, and what they like affects my thinking. And in an ideal relationship, what I need and what I like and what I want affects their thinking And it's not about swapping controllers as much as it's mentally putting yourself in their place and simply swapping sides. Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. I am your host, Lonnie Jones. My wife, Jackie, and I moved to the city of Huntsville in 1986 for me to be a youth and family minister. I have been a minister since 1980. I have served in this community as a police chaplain assigned to a SWAT team since 1992. And I've been in private practice as a licensed professional counselor 
since 1998. I'm also an adventure educator and an avid outdoorsman. I dabble in rock climbing and I goof around with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Our life has been full of many wonderful experiences and some just outright adventures. I used to write about those things in a little church bulletin article. So now instead of asking you to read those things, we're just going to talk about them in our podcast. And as we talk about them, we're going to talk about the facts. The facts lead to concepts and the concepts lead to application. One caveat about the facts is for the most part, we're going to tell you the facts just as they happened. But every now and then, we're going to tell you the way other people have told us they remember it happening with a little bit of embellishment. It's all good, clean fun and for educational purposes. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy Keeping Up with Jones.